Welcome back to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, Content Director at Money 2020 by day and your host by night. Our guest this week is an old friend and one of my favorite people to talk to in FinTech, Drew Glover. Drew is a founding partner at Fiat Growth and a general partner at Fiat Ventures. As always, we cover a lot of ground, this time from fintech all the way to football. This man played with Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers in college. Some fun stories. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate, review Fintech Family Hour wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FS Vector, the firm for innovative financial services. And without further ado, here's Drew. Drew, we've been talking for a fucking hour, but it just gets so interesting that right in the middle of a sentence, I had to say, stop talking. We're going to start recording. Record away. How you doing, man? As if we haven't been hanging out, talking, having coffee for an hour. Let's just let's just act like that hasn't happened. <laughs> I'm um I'm really good. I'm really good. You know, here in San Francisco in our beautiful office, uh, San Francisco still on the comeback. So I'm trying to be a part of the good uh, re-evolution that, that is the Bay area, but, um, all's well, man. Family's healthy. I got a one and a half, I got a one-year-old happy wife, happy life. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude. Thanks for having me. It's, I mean, to come and visit you in the office is something I've been wanting to do for a while, but we were, uh, I, I will fill listeners in a little bit. So Drew's partner, Alex, Alex's last name Harris, right? Correct. So many people in my world that are named Alex and so many people in my world that sometimes I'm like, my best friend's last name is what? Um, <laughs> Alex Harris, Drew's partner. Um, we were just hanging out with him out there. I knew him back from the Chime days and I didn't realize that this used to be the Chime office. So this is like, I mean, we're sitting in a space with uh, with some special juju. Storied walls. Storied these, walls. These walls um, have seen some pain. Yeah, man. You know, I, I, so I've known Alex for 20 plus years. We went to UC Berkeley together. Funny side story. Um, we met. I was a walk-on at Cal Berkeley's football team. Right. Alex was an equipment manager. As he likes to say, he used to do my laundry. It, it, it and you don't like him to say that. I gives found me out the willies earlier. Unless you give context immediately after that well, he just leaves it out in the heat he's just i did drew's laundry and I, now I, we invest together i feel the need to uh to fill the space instantly but um <laughs> but yeah i mean we aaron Rodgers was our quarterback we played with marshawn lynch man it was, it was like great times but but me and him um i was riding pine i, I was a walk-on didn't get a lot of playing time we just talked fintech and business and 20 years later yeah. man we have a growth consultancy together we have a, a venture army a venture business together that's wild so alex probably caught more passes at the end of the day from from aaron than you did actually based on based on that actually you you were probably right <laughs> that's <laughs> absolutely hilarious okay so take me through take me through the the drew life we'll come back to some of the stuff that we were just talking about a little bit ago but give me like the the youth like kind of how you grew up like what what made you give a shit about finance it goes back a long way. Um, I'll tell you, Drew as a kid has had no clue that he'd be anywhere near finance. And, and that was mainly yeah. because from a schooling standpoint, like I never thought I was smart enough or intellectual enough. I was so lucky to be good at sports. And I think we all know how much. Were you like bad at math or what were you bad at? I was bad at math. And, um, you know, I went to private school. My, my mom was a teacher in the Oakland Unified School District, which okay. at, the at the time had a 15% graduation rate. My Ooh. mom basically said, like, I will not put you in that public is... school in Oakland. Isn't that a wild thing about the United States is like some of our parents are working in institutions that they wouldn't allow their children to function inside of like hospitals. I mean, there's different versions of it, but like 
it's, it's a different podcast, I, but I grew up, I grew up like telling my mom, I can't wait for you to be my teacher. And she was like, that won't happen. Oh man. That's yeah. a weird, that's a, that's heavy. Yeah. But the right decision on mom's behalf, it sounds like it was true. And, um, you know, my mom was a teacher was very helpful at home. When you talk about someone coming home, there you go. Like, talk about a built-in tutor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do my homework. And she was like, you will do your homework. Um, <laughs> so your mom was Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> you will do your she's homework. She's that woman, man. Yeah. She is that woman. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up just not having a lot of confidence in just my overall intellect. Um, but you know, as you grow up, you start to realize that intellect is much greater than what you can do in school and textbooks. So yeah. I, I um I had a dad who who worked in, in in the nonprofit world ran a company called Ocur Oakland Citizens Committee Committee for Urban Renewal which helped advocate for um low income communities across the East Bay to af- afford housing and then my mom was a principal in the Oakland Unified School District oh she was a principal yeah. wow. well she was a French okay. teacher for fifteen years she was then, a French teacher then became a principal I know no French okay I won't go she there didn't then teach I, me. that's so funny I literally I had a meeting yesterday with somebody that was like oh yeah by the way I'm fr- like half French and then we had literally the rest of our meeting in French so I won't do that to you but that's wild I know when I was younger I used to tell her I was like I just came back from the mall. I met the love of my life, but she spoke French, so <laughs> I couldn't actually speak to her. And, uh, and I always give her crap because she she grew up in France or her, her dad sent her to Nice every summer from the age of 14. She fell in love with the language, went to school in American in Paris and um, came back and, and became a French teacher. That's crazy, man. Yeah. My my uncle, uh, like right after he finished college, went over to France and started a like a family there. So he's a English as a second language teacher. And now he's been in Paris his whole life. And love it. a lot of people think I'm French because I speak it and because I have family there. But it's just because he moved moved over there so yeah. anyway, weird overlap i yeah. didn't know we had that my mom's side of the family they're all francophiles which is yeah good for them um, yeah um i get to go visit there occasionally but but yeah as a kid i um i was great at sports i was very personable you know yeah. my, my, so you were funny you were like you had that funny, side of your like yeah almost the class clown but yeah, like yeah, was yeah. always afraid to be the class clown because um, <laughs> your mom was a principal yeah <laughs> and then also te- teachers will call on you if you're the class clown i was like don't call oh yeah, me. yeah, yeah. So, i know um, that feeling so yeah i um I went to private school, I went to um, private school from K through eighth, went to a private high school, got really good at football, was getting recruited by a ton, ton of schools. And um, I always worked really hard in school. I just never felt confident in my um, in my intellect. So hmm. um, even in English class, like was there were there places where you did feel I'm, I'm curious because I felt a lot of this as a kid, too. And I'm always just fascinated by the psyche of it. So it was it was a number of things. Um, first, I, I just I. I I think I was one of those like kids that was kind of undiagnosed a number of different things. Oh yeah, um, I'm with you there. <laughs> so like I had learning disabilities, but I never knew what they were. Yeah. Um, because when it came to to English, I always felt very confident in my ability to speak English. But when it came down to the organization of of what someone's telling you a essay should be or a paper should be, sure, it just didn't connect with me. Yeah. Um. So I always felt I wrote good papers, but it was never in the format and organized in the way that people were giving me the rules. To Makes follow. sense. Yep. Um. Math, uh, I really hate anything where there's one answer for yep, something. Same. I was like, if, if there's not multiple answers, like I have no interest in you. I feel you on all this. <laughs> like every every bit of what you're saying resonates completely with me. And uh, and so you know, it's um, it was it was I, I worked hard to complete work, but there was some work that I was really excited about and some work that I just didn't care about, and yeah. um, I struggled with it um quite a bit. To not to say that you know I I I, I wasn't getting horrible grades, but they just weren't grades that you know. I, I loved them. Obviously, not ones that my parents loved. I was good enough to walk on to UC Berkeley, yeah. but coming out of high school, 
I got a I got a denial letter from UC Berkeley first because I wasn't trying to get in there for for sports at the time. I was trying to get in there for school. Yeah. I got a full ride scholarship to St. Mary's College in Moraga um, to play quarterback. Two weeks later, after I signed my letter of intent, they dropped the football program. I'm in tears. Just completely as a dropped the whole football. Program. Yeah, they were trying to move up from one double A to to Division One school. Cat or the the diocese of the school did okay. not want to spend the money, so they dropped the program. Still said I could go there on a full ride scholarship, but I had football dreams. Yeah, so I said, which makes sense. I'm yeah. out, and yeah. uh, I called all the schools that were interested in me before. Jeff Tedford, quarterback or the the head coach at Cal, said. You can walk on. You can't play quarterback. I played quarterback in high school. Okay. But you can play any other position. I was like, I'll play receiver. Two weeks later, I had an acceptance letter to Berkeley. Wow. Best moment of my life. But you were a walk-on, so you had to figure out how to pay for it. I was a walk-on. Had to pay for it. Um, But that was the least. I was like, sure, I'll take out You're loans. You're like, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two years in, I ended up getting a scholarship. So okay. I was able to to kind of earn my way. Um, Dude, that shit's so hard. I had a similar situation playing soccer in college, and earning a scholarship is... Oof. Dude. Grind, grind. Um, but no better feeling than getting it. But it was good. And, and the team was really good at the mm-hmm. time. Again, some incredible players. Yeah, so you like, said Marshawn Lynch earlier. By the way, we will get to FinTech, but this is y'all. <laughs> if you're listening to FinTech Family Hour, you know by now we're going to chase some squirrels first. And one of them is going to be named Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with Marshawn in Oakland, man. And uh, that's so he, weird. He was a man amongst boys. When he was, was like, he really like just I mean, beast moding from the age of four? I played on a Pop Warner team called the Oakland Dynamites, and he was on another team in the league. And I just remember like being on the sideline watching this kid and no one could touch him. I'm like, the kid was like a 25 year old when we were all sitting there at like 11 and, and 12. Yeah. And was, um, it, was his voice always like kind of like, did it just seem like he was maybe like 10 years development wise ahead of everybody else? Kind of, it, it, you know, it wasn't even that, but like, there were just like, there were moments. I remember going to a, a, a summer camp and he was there and I remember him being the only kid that was just doing standing backflips. <laughs> and it was moment. just kind of like yeah. freakish athleticism <laughs> yeah. where I'm like, where he hadn't really like on? practiced them. He <laughs> yeah. was just like, oh, you mean jump back? Totally. Oh, okay, I can do that. Never done gymnastics in his life. <laughs> he was just doing standing backflips just for the hell of it. <laughs> He's he is one of my fa- if, if listeners, if you've never listened to Marshawn Lynch press conferences, uh, go on YouTube because it's some of the most entertaining shit in the history of the world. Dude is unapologetically himself, and I he's mean, never changed since the day I met him. Really? Which, which I give him mad props for because he's he's reached a level of stardom. Um, it's almost an of. icon from a football standpoint. I mean, he is. Yeah, he is, and because of the, especially because of those interviews. Like, I Big mean, time. and I feel like had he kind of like gotten along with the media and everything else, like he wouldn't have this like flourishing kind of media career that he does now. Like being. Being the person he was That's in those it. interviews is why he's the guy he is now. Against the grain in the most refreshing way. He has a voice from a very unique place in, this, in the country, which is West Oakland, <laughs> which is, yeah. is one of the toughest places. But, um, but, but he's able to, to, to really engage with folks in a really unique way. Okay, so coming, so you've always had this like competitive streak, though. I mean, it sounds like that's been a. I want to ask one question about the kind of competitive nature, though. So yeah. I'm fascinated by the competitive person that when they lose, like they're a different person for a day or two versus like the competitive person that can lose, set it to the side and like carry on. Which of those were you or are you? So losing and my reaction to it's been like this very interesting evolution Um, because as a kid, I was I was the guy you're like. Don't don't play with Drew. If he loses, he's like sore he's loser in his day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
I've, I've, I've internalized losing quite a bit um, throughout my life. And, and that's mainly because of the, the, the industries that, that I've kind of, I play, kind of play in now, yeah. <laughs> uh, showing the visual loss is, uh, is not the most becoming, but, um, but yeah, I, yeah that's true. Isn't it? You can yeah. like kind of fucking temper tantrum at the end of a game. You can't really temper tantrum at the end of a fundraise that didn't go well. That's right. That's right. And, and frankly, um, losing is built into, to my life, um, fundraising, accounts that you're trying to win and a number of different things um but they sting and the evolution is is instead of sitting in the in the the pout the pouting of it or the or however pissed off i am it's more of just like all right learn 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 and actually a lot yeah. of times i'm using a loss as a way to better pitch a future client like we lost like i'll walk into a, a pitch and i will literally say we lost an account very similar to this two months ago, and I know why now. And so this is this this is this is the changes we've made. And a lot of times, I'll try to take a loss and use it as a superpower for a future opportunity, and be as 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 to be as direct as like this is the experience I had a month ago. This is how I'm changing it. I want to tell you all about it and treat that as a way for us to work together in a better way and partner. So, me kind of. Uh, taking a loss and using it as as a power for the future has has helped me a lot in terms of dealing with it. Otherwise, I just internalize it. I put it in my pocket and I just keep looking at my pocket being like, fuck that, you know? Goddamn pocket loss, <laughs> <Yeah>. motherfucker. <laughs> so how do you and Alex having known each other as long as you have and like being in competitive realms, not like against each other, but to get like... We were sitting in that room earlier and you guys were talking about fundraising and it was funny to me listening to you guys go back and forth about Alex being like, yeah, I do his laundry and you being like, I fucking wish you wouldn't say that. So how do you guys have like a post meeting, like recap or anything that you guys do together where you're like, ah, oh, you could have done this better. I could have done this. Like, how do you, do you have that relationship? We do hundred percent. And, and Marcos Fernandez, who's our, who's our managing partner at Ventures. He, um, yeah, he, I haven't met Marcos yet. Yeah, yeah. He's a part of that as well. Um, but dude, fundraising is a dance. You know, it is like literally you got to do the waltz, can't step on each other's feet. If you do, like there is a postmortem about that one footstep and that that yeah. sneaker scuff. So when we're done with the meeting, yeah, we are get, we're getting on. We're saying what went well, what went wrong. One person spoke too much. We got to be more, you know, precise in this answer. Uh, this is what we need to highlight. Um, but what's really interesting as you think about fundraising, every single person that you're pitching has different interests yeah. in your business. Yeah. So we have, you know, six or seven different types of pitches for different types of rooms. So there's a lot of code switching that's going on when we're going from meeting to meeting and pitch to pitch during the fundraise. And you're just doing that real time, basically, right? You're saying like, oh, these guys are focused on this. So Alex is going to talk a little bit more now kind of a thing versus they're focused on this. So Drew's going to take over or whatever. So, and like, you know, very specific examples are like Alex spends a lot on portfolio support. Yeah. And there, there, there are some investors that are like, that's that's really what they want to hear about. I spend a lot of time splitting my time between ventures and growth and actually making it so the clients that we get the right to invest in on our growth arm of the business are the best possible businesses. And so we'll do it. You know, there's like little kind of like code switching cues you can give like, um, let me pass it over to Alex and let him talk a little bit more about portfolio support. Right. I know that's something you guys care deeply about. Now yeah. it's like, I'm in, you yeah. know, um, yeah. so. But yeah, it's a it's it's a process and it's a dance and it's something where um we have to 
come in there as if um, we're like we're professionals at the whole deal. As if, yeah, as if, <laughs> as if, always trying to become better, man. Michelle Obama, we're becoming always. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've talked about Alex. We keep saying fiat. We talk about growth. We talk about ventures. Let's like define the thing. So what is what is fiat? Yep. Um, and I won't even say fiat growth. I won't say fiat ventures. Just what's right. fiat? It is fiat. It, it is. It is many things. Um, before I do that, I just want to close the loop on what you were talking about earlier. Just like my come up into this. Oh, fuck. Um, I forgot about that. No, when I started, we, we got on Marshawn and, and Cal, but like yeah. me coming out of college, I, my journey is very unconventional. I came out of college. I got into commercial business insurance, property casualty insurance. I became a, a head of business development for a production company. I got into a design firm. That what got did you do with a production Accenture. company? I didn't know about that. A company called Portalay. Um, okay. Portalay is a, pretty large production company now. I was like, you know, the fourth employee there oversaw business development at the time. It was like 2013. And we were basically just doing like a startup launch videos. Wow. And what it grew into is we got this massive client Google. There was something called YouTube Rewind. It was right after Google acquired YouTube and it was all the best YouTube uh, videos of the year. And we do this massive. And it was like a massive video. It was like a two or $3 million contract. And we were like, this put us on the map. So now they basically just do a ton of like shorts. Um, so uh. they'll do like, they'll do episodics with Stephen Curry and YouTube. They gotcha. will, they'll actually create their own TV shows and like sell pilots to, to large, um, production houses. Interesting. Um, okay. but they've grown in a pretty significant way, but it was fun because you know, it's, um, we talk about it all all the time of just like telling a story, right? Yep. Like it's different when you're just like pitching your company, but when you're also walking in and being like, okay, this is a 10 episode uh, show. Each show is two minutes and this is the pitch. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I went to a company called Fjord, got bought by Accenture, but it was a design firm. Um, from there, I went to, uh, I was a cooking category manager at a, at a food startup where I was actually producing cooking shows um, and we were selling it to businesses. <laughs> you think um, you know somebody, everybody. You think you know you, someone bro. and then you sit down, you podcast and you find out more. We, like literally it was it was workout, workout shorts. It was food shorts. We'd sell them to businesses and it was like a, um, it was an ancillary ancillary service that you'd give all your employees that was basically around health and wellness. Um, that company is still alive. It's called Grokker, but I was there for a very wow. short time. Then I got into HR tech, sold HR tech, was like the number one guy in a 600 person HR tech company and namely for two years. Oh, interesting. Um, that was a cool, I've, what did they do again? That was like a, that was a thing in a minute. It was, it was, it was a thing. I mean, they, they raised a series C from Sequoia at the time, a $60 million round. I rem yeah, they I remember something like that. It was around, I feel like that was like when Gong was huge. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Zenefits, it was like when Zenefits had their time. crash, yeah. namely like took a ton of their clients. It was okay, kind of like yeah, small yeah. to medium sized yeah. HR tech platform, really beautiful design. Yeah. Um, Gusto was another like big, big Dude, competitor. You've been accidentally in this like really interesting Venn diagram of sales, design and storytelling like your whole life, it sounds like. It is. It, it's something that, and I I, t I tell the story because getting because I'll, I'll we'll obviously get to to fiat, but it's yeah. been so important in what I do at fiat at a day to day basis now. Because during my during that path, I had so much anxiety because I'm like I'm just going to change my entire you know career trajectory once again. Um, and I'd always get nervous. I'm like I'm starting over. I'm starting over. And ultimately got to what I'm doing now. I realized that all of these things made me 
you know, I won't, a lot of people say an inch deep and a mile wide, but I'll say like three feet deep and a mile wide. Yeah. And the, it's the corollary of all the, I mean, we, <laughs> I feel like the funny part is that like, I feel like people probably assume that like if, Fin, like when fintech nerds get together that they talk about fintech and like we do but i mean most of what we just talked about outside of this room was comedy like and like a little bit of like bullshitting with alex on fintech stuff but we just we talked about Chappelle for like 40 minutes yep right and i think this like cross-disciplinary like all of the most interesting and all of the best people in the world from my opinion are like wildly interested and curious on different subjects, right? Like the most effective entrepreneurs maybe sometime are totally obsessed with one very specific thing and go a hundred miles deep on that thing. But are they happy? Like, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I would say that I, I would prefer to have my net worth and be me than be Elon Musk, 100%. you know? And he's one that has a lot of interest, I think, but he also is one that is like, yeah. Anyway, well, it, well, I'll tell you, like, it, it's a great call out, though, because like the main vein in my life just always sits back with curiosity. Yeah, like, I put so much value in it. I put so much value in the relationships I have in my life around it. Yeah. And if you're just like not naturally curious, but even a step further, like naturally curious to the point where you're going to like step into that curiosity and like live right. in it for a second and try to live it. Um, it. It's 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 really tough for me, especially from like a day to day relationship, people in my family, like my wife, you know close friends of mine. Right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I had all these different incredible experiences. Um, I ultimately worked at a company called Steady, which helps folks in the 1099 world improve their financial health. I was pre-launch. We grew it to around three or four million users. That's when I, me and Alex really started grinding it out together. He was at Chime, head of growth there um, from Series A to Series D. We were both building out marketplaces while he was at Chime. Chime had around 8 million users. Steady yeah. had around 3. We had all these companies calling us saying, how can I get in your marketplace? I want to get our product in front of all of your users. Me and Alex were like, dude, we're seeing this crazy trend right now in fintech. Folks are not just building products for the 20% of America that already has money. Right. They're starting to build products for the 80% of America that are most financially at risk. And we want to start working with these businesses. Yeah. So these companies would call us to get in our marketplace. And sometimes I'd be like, Alex, I spoke to three companies incredible. Let's get on the phone with them. And we just started co-advising a number of them. Hmm. I'm going to spare you a ton of the details, but basically it went from like two co-advisorships to around 14. And we were very aggressive because we had full-time jobs and we were like, you're going to pay us a, a retainer for our services. You're going to give us advisory shares for as long as we're working together, vesting immediately, no cliff. We are also going to ask for the right to invest in your business. Yeah, We didn't have the money to invest, but we knew at some point we wanted to have yeah. that opportunity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what we just what we ultimately did once we got to around 14 or 15, we said, hey, let's quit our day jobs and found Fiat. We hadn't seen a growth consultancy created that was purely focused on fintech. And uh, fintech has such complex acquisition funnels yep. that you really need a very special data-driven mind to like add value. We're not selling a t-shirt. We're not selling a mug. Yeah. We are getting someone to refi their student loan. Right. Or, you know, we're getting someone to uh, open up a checking account. A big um, commitment with a lot of trust, no matter what it is. Big. And yeah. when, it, when it's 100% of a digital relationship, yep. you just have to be obsessive about how you build a funnel, how you activate it, how you retain people, how you refer people. Yeah. Um, so, um, spare you more details. Fiat grew from me and Alex to... L hold on. Let me, let me time you out there. Please. So... I think because we're actually friends, I will phrase it the way that I actually want to phrase it, which is Please do. when you say, when you say growth consultancy, yeah. I think most people go Bleh, and bullshit. 
Yep. Right. Like that, like when you say those two terms together, it's kind of like when people talked about growth hacking, you know, and then you talk about growth hacking and then you add consultants into it. You're just like, ew. Right. But like I knew at this point, like I actually didn't know that you and Alex were working together by that point. Yep. But I was working with Alex at, at Chime at MBKC, not in like the consulting role, but I knew like we got to, we were like, okay, you're, we, we're, this is a thing. We're friends. Like as yeah. soon as I met him, I was like, okay, the thing. So we were talking on the side and I realized that he was starting to do some of this stuff. And I was like, the Alex I know at Chime applying those like that brain outside of Chime seems wildly valuable. But when you call it that again, it sounds like bullshit. So talk me through like the use case, like how you, how you phrased it or like what it really was day one. Uh, thank you for asking that question, by the way, it, I mean, because it, yeah. it's something that we've been working on threading, threading the needle on for, for years now. Well, it's hard because you and Alex aren't, fucking consultants like if i if i ever introduced you guys to people i would not say that's not how i would frame it right 100%. but it is what you do to some degree let, let me tell you what we're not i think that, that there you go that, that's that, maybe that, a good that place to super start helpful to yeah. kind of get to, to what we are but we are not an agency um when we first started working like are we an agency we're not an agency because what agencies are doing is they're just chasing they're just chasing revenue they'll work with any old client um, they're not incentivized for the upside either. They're, but they, they're incentivized in weird ways where, you know, a lot of agencies will ask for a percentage of the spend. So like yeah. if you're, <laughs> if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a month on marketing. They'll say, great, we get 10% of your spend and that's our payment. How does that make sense? I've, I know that's true in politics and shit. I've never understood why it's a horrible incentive because what it does is it incentivizes the agency to have you to spend spend as much money as possible. That's what I would say. Versus yeah. aligning on your specific goals. <laughs> right. Sometimes we'll sit back like, what's your goal? And no, nine, 10 times out of 10, no founder says our goal is to be spending $300,000 a month. I mean, whose goal would that be? Yeah. Why would that be? A that? lot of times <laughs> I want to get to my series A. Yeah, right? I mean, that's or, makes sense. You know, that's tangible. I, I want to be able to get, you know, 10 clients. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like very, very specific, tangible goals that are much more than just saying, cool, we'll just go spend more money to yeah. do it. Um. So we're not an agency. Yeah. Um, we call ourselves consultants because we believe that what we are doing is a fresher way of what a lot of the management consultancies do today. And as I always say, I was like, we're trying to sweep the dust away of, man of the management mm. consultancy space. Yeah. When you hear consultants, to your point, you hear, great, they're going to drop off a 50 page PowerPoint and yep. say, go do it yourselves. Yep. The big difference between us is we are both the strategy and the execution. So when I say we're a growth consultancy and I'm working with a seed company, a series A company or a series C company, I'm saying, listen, don't make that internal hire. Let us be an extension of your team. We are going to build the growth foundation. When I see the growth foundation, I truly mean we're going to stand up your MarTech stack. We are going to implement all of your MarTech stack to ensure your data is clean and crisp. We are going to stand up your core growth channels, literally meaning we are going to build, um, launch, and scale Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We're going to make it so we're doing it based on the amount, based on your specific cat goals. We're going to do it under your cat goals, and we're going to scale it up to a point where you can walk into any VC and say, and they say, hey, what are you going to do with the $10 million I'm about to give you? And say, I'm going to put in these two channels because right. we can acquire users at the, at the clip the economic clip that we need to, to get this to a series B and a series C. Yep. Um, but we are literally the folks that are going to come in and get you from zero to one, one to 10, 10 to a hundred. And you can make the decision if at any point you want to bring that team in house to replace us. And we'll actually go recruit those people and bring them in for you. Or we can just be your outsourced team. But 
the ultimate goal of fiat is to become the ultimate growth ecosystem, where if you need anything growth, you enter our ecosystem and we're going to be a more affordable option with a team of absolute executional killers that have specific experience in the fintech space. And um, and we're going to be able to scale up your business. And, and frankly, 90% of our leads come from VCs. So like our clients all come from VCs, very notable VCs, all the VCs that you know. They say, I just invested. Go work with Fiat before you go hire a CMO or a massive growth team. It's it, In a lot of ways, is it almost kind of like thinking about hiring... Like I think a lot of a lot of uh, early stage organizations will hire sales leaders, maybe a little bit too early sometimes. Like they'll hire somebody that you know uh, had a a quota of one point two billion dollars at Qualcomm or something, and then they have a quota of five hundred thousand at this new company, and like the set of muscles is so in, like just so disconnected that you're almost kind of saying like we know the right set of muscles. Let us set up the gym sort of thing. That's probably like kind of butchering the metaphor a little bit. No, but you're right. And then from there, like we'll bring the people in and we'll help them like get stronger sort of a thing. Like you're setting the platform. As I always put it, we want to set up such a great infrastructure that when you hire someone, they're steering the ship instead of building the ship. Yeah. And um, that Qualcomm example of someone that's that's got a $1.2 billion quota, that's an incredible hire. But that's not the best hire to get yeah, you from zero at to series one. E, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like we want to make it so when you bring that hire in, they're doing the things that they're great at. Their superpowers actually yeah. um, yeah. you know, are are being put into action versus them saying, Okay, great. Now I'm gonna go hire 15 consultants or through 10 people under me to go build all the things that I just haven't been doing for the past decade of my career. How much time do you spend talking founders out of ego-oriented decisions? Like that. Every founder believes, not every founder, a lot of founders believe that they can do marketing. Mm. And and, that, and like, obviously, most founders, if they don't know how to do dev work, they won't try to do dev work. Right. There's a lot of things they won't try there to do. There is a thing about marketing where everybody's like, ah, I've, I've seen that. a commercial. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. N- yeah. Let's do what Nike did. You know, yeah. like there's like yeah. a lot of brands where we'll you look at it. do what Nike did. That's such a funny <laughs> sentence. <laughs> but, it's it, what we run into a lot of times, like, you know, listen, sometimes we have to back off and say, sure, go try to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, But most of the time I'm trying to explain that marketing is not, it, it is truly a learned skill. And the thing you have to learn the most of is patience because mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a test and iterative process. A lot of people think it's an art. Um, There is some art to it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's around patience, testing and iterating and being able to prove what's wrong just as fast as you're proving what's right and doing that in the most economical way. The amount of like founders that believe they can do marketing, they go do $50,000 tests. Right. Our goal is to do a $500 test and prove if it's right or wrong, um, but much less money and making it so your money goes as long as possible to find product market fit. Yeah. So first question is is this true for B2B and B2C? Yes. Okay. Now let's take a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor, FS Vector. Relationships, relationships, one more time, relationships. One of the hardest parts of building a meaningful company in the world of finance is understanding what's actually 
happening in Washington with agencies, the administration, everything going on on Capitol Hill. Who do you actually go to for what in the world of government in general? It is just confusing. We may want to think we're disconnected from the world of politics, building companies. But if we've seen anything this year, it's that we're not. We are very tied to it. The ability to pick up the phone and get an opinion from a decision maker in this world, in the world of politics, is worth its weight in gold. Those aren't calls just anyone can make. This is why I recommend FS Vector. Those are the relationships they have. They have partners and senior advisors that have been cultivating those relationships for decades. Some of them have even been on the show. You may know John Betchia. You may know Amy Friend. You may know folks like that. They've been around. They've started building those relationships before they needed them, which is exactly what I recommend anyone do with their government affairs slash policy strategy. Don't wait until it's too late. Get advisors good ones even, good ones especially, only good ones, and the good ones are at FS Vector. Reach out to FS Vector, go into that contact us, and write in all caps at the top of the form, Zach sent me. FSVector.com and tell him Zach sent So there's a multitude of directions, multitude of questions that I want to ask <laughs> you right now, multitude of directions. Um, I guess the question is, <laughs> it's so funny because I think I think a lot of times we talk about like I think people still sometimes talk about the lean methodology. They still talk about these things, right? But it does to me seem as though especially in marketing there is a huge opportunity to leverage the scientific method. And it confuses the living shit out of me why it doesn't get applied more often. It sounds like a lot of what you're saying is like well we've seen a lot of shit, but all that shit we've seen, we take the scientific method and we take all that shit, we put it inside the scientific method, we run things, it gives us statistics, and then from there we make decisions. Which is not like, like for the love of God, people learn the scientific method, I guess is what I'm saying, because I end up in these conversations all the time where it's just like, did you test that at a basic stage before you tried to scale it? And the answer is pretty much always no. Our goal in the most simple way is to make it so people get out of the mindset of, I'll just go buy another lottery ticket. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. Believe, and that's, that's what we're fighting against, right? Is 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 emotion over logic. Yeah. Because, um, of course, we can take we can take all the moonshots. When we're talking to a, to a client on the fiat growth side of the business, we tell them, there are no bad ideas. Bring us your shitty ideas. Because if you hold that idea. It's just going to take emotional space in your brain. You're going to keep thinking it's something that we should lean into. Bring it to us so we can prove it wrong. Right. With the hope that it's right. Yep. But like, there's no bad idea. We can always prove something wrong or right quickly. And that is the goal um, when we think about marketing as a whole. Yes, there's a ton of historical data that we have specific proprietary to fiat that we have on the market. Um, A lot of people say, well, Chime did it. So why doesn't it work here? Hey, man, when Chime started, there was like two neobanks. Now there's 75 and they're all competing for yeah. the same AdWords. Like right. we have to find a new way to bring your product to market. And we can't do it on the emotional hope that we'll do what was working 10 years ago. Um, so we, in, in many cases, are a governor to a lot of people. But in other cases, we're an absolute in the trenches, wrestling in the mud executor that is going to say, 
that is going to be a $50 test and not a $50,000 test. And we're going to be able to prove what's wrong at an equitable, thoughtful way versus just saying they did it. It should work for us. It honestly sounds fun. I mean, like the, getting that creative with it, like I, because of my role at Money 2020, I end up doing a lot of like marketing conversations. Right. And I think like once you get to a certain point, once you get to a certain point in proving that something works, right? Like we, we have sent an email or two in our time at Money 2020, right? Like it's, it's a thing that happens. <laughs> I've gotten a couple. Yeah. One or two. <laughs> yeah. It's not often, just every now and then. Um, but it, it's something where like it fucking works, right? Like in, I think that we have enough lists and there's enough like back that like hopefully it comes across and people are actually getting like the right thing, but there's probably moments where it doesn't, but there's, there's this thing where getting creative to make sure it ends up in the right place is so fun. But my question to you is when you get to working with those series C series D, like those later stage companies, like one of the things that I think we struggle with sometimes is we have proven what works but sometimes the variables associated with what works are hard to extrapolate out and pulling one variable out might make the whole thing fall. So we don't want to pull that one variable out and actually study it scientifically, right? Like there's a like a stupid example is like if we announce a speaker or something like that um, on a week because like the, the price slowly increases, right? So if you announce a speaker at this part of portion of the year versus if you announce the same speaker at this portion of the year, depending on the, like there's so many variables there that anyway, long story short, I'm curious where the, what it's like to have conversations with those groups that are DE need to get to a point where they're back to exponential growth, but maybe afraid to disrupt themselves or something. Well, it's it's a very different conversation because there's so many more cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, um, it gets real political. So a lot of times when we're working with later stage companies, we are we are we are going to different channels versus discussing all channels. Yeah. Um, so you're I, like, I, let's. Uh, I got your TikTok strategy, Series D, instead I of like, you. let's go in and talk about the emails that you've already figured. Or like, it just Instagram naturally has to be a land and expand process yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. larger businesses. Yeah. I wish we were, you know you know, like a Wyden Kennedy where it's like, hey, we're just going to do your whole brand. Right. But for growth specifically, um, we have to get different parts of the community to believe in our process. Yeah. And over time, one department says you got to work with them. The other department says we got to work. And then by the end of it, you know, we have, you know, the entire growth stack right. under fiat. Yeah. Um, but it, it took us a while to bang our heads against the wall of trying to walk into a room with 15 different stakeholders. Yeah. Um, because we'd always walk out being like, who's our champion? Right. You know, because they're all just fighting because you realize that they just haven't all been in a room together in four years because it's a mixture of remote versus non-remote. And because you're just naturally siloed as you're trying to hit your goal for your specific department. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's truly like a land and expand, build relationships one at a time with these much larger businesses. Yeah. What's the future of this thing? Like what, what is this thing in five, 10 years? Like, I don't see you and Alex slowing down. seems like thing. I mean, you guys got what, like 30 employees right now? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see us slowing down. I mean, honestly, from our standpoint, I'm going back to this idea of what management consulting is today. Hmm. Um, it's been around for a hundred years. People, nothing's changed within it. Uh, the ones we know today, the McKinsey's, the Accenture's of the world, they only work with fortune 50 or fortune 100 companies. Uh, we're, and, and also they're, they're much more strategy versus execution. Yeah. We believe that there's a huge opportunity for this called like mid market type of company. Um, and 
there's seems like it could be bigger than the the other ones we're talking about when you think about the i mean it's kind of like there's, there's way more democratization companies. of other things being bigger than the you know original version of the black car or whatever totally and, and what, what we're kind of shifting with fiat fiat growth is is we continue at continually add services because we we've worked with over 120 companies over the last five years right we're constantly getting feedback saying do you guys do this do you guys do that i wish you guys did that i wish you guys did that and so what we do when we when we really start getting a ton of inbound on like do you guys have the service we'll just go look for a leader for it and we'll basically have like a company within a company and let that person be the gm for that like we just did it with revenue operations because we saw this b2b opportunity kick up within fintech and helping build yeah. sales teams, help yeah. you know drive this like B two B and B two B two C type of model and take it to the next level. So, um, you know, we see that happening with like fiat finance in the future, where you know we can actually offer financial solutions yeah. to a lot of these folks. Is we need to make sure data is clean and crisp to scale. We even like maybe fiat PR in the future. A lot of these companies we know two months before they're about to raise their next round. Yeah. Um. But again, this ecosystem we're talking about, someone enters it, and we talk about this lean startup them being able to utilize us as third-party experts until it's time for them to build their own in-house team. We typically see that happening around like a big series B or a big series C where they're like, listen, the ship has been built. Now we need to bring in the people that can manage it and steer it and continue to help it grow exponentially. Yeah. Listen, I mean, so it's thinking about like how the economy and the market and everything has kind of shifted. It sounds like, it sounds like in certain ways, this, I mean, I guess like constraints can create innovation and all that, but it it kind of sounds like some of the slowdown is actually maybe a positive. And when we talk about kind of like setting up a growth stack and we talk about because, you know, I've uh, previous in a previous life, I was at a company where we might have hypothetically, you know, put the cart way before the horse and hired a chief sales officer and things like that, like way, way too early because of the sheer like. I, don't, I actually really think our VCs were basing us on headcount. Like I actually, in retrospect, think the VCs were like, how many employees have you added? And I'm like, I, am I, is it just because I'm from Kansas City that I don't understand why that would be a metric that you would care? Like, wouldn't you want it to be low? Anyway, that's a totally separate thing. But it seems like the like the the space that we're in economically right now would actually be great for you guys because it's forcing companies to slow down a little bit, forcing them to take stock of building the right thing and then running like crawl walk 100%, 100%. run a hundred percent um you know we we were stuck in between a rock and a hard place two years ago because it was it was grow by any means necessary mm -hmm. and please believe like we were getting clients left and right but we were arguing arguing with neobanks saying stop acquiring at a loss <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> stop thinking that the most valuable part of your funnel is someone opening an account and start thinking about the most valuable part of your funnel being i opened an account and i put 300 dollars in it because this is going to be the top only account i use yeah. top of wallet isn't that fascinating and now it's completely shifted also you know we're seeing businesses and we're, we're back to the x's and o's yeah, right like we're, we're an x's and o's team we're a fundamental team we're a pass and screen away type of hoop team and um you know I think a lot of one, a lot of the VCs that we work with really value that, and obviously a lot of the companies that we work with really value that. Especially when you're thinking about, hey, we need to scale, but we also need to like maximize runway and be spending money at the the lowest clip while still growing. Um, and so we can come in and and really be like the optimizer of that business. And we we were built to be able to help businesses that are are living within like the fundamentals of business. So it's um. 
it's been really good. And um, obviously the market's really tough right now. Raising money's really tough. Um, but like we're kind of like forensic growth specialists. So yeah. going in there and like lifting up the hood and being like, no, listen, we're not going to just fix it so you can drive 100 more miles. We want to make it so you can get 200 more mi- 200,000 more miles out of this vehicle. Yeah. I mean, it's like the perfect time to be. I mean, yes. as if like as if this shit doesn't matter in the good times. Yeah. Right. But it like, especially seems like it would matter now. What are, this is one of those questions that like I should send ahead of time so that you can have a minute to think about it. But like, <laughs> we don't prep cause we boys. Nah. Um, <laughs> what are some of the, like the common pitfalls you see? Like, what are some of the things that you see most often? And that's why it's like kind of, you know, probably take a second to ruminate on it or whatever, but maybe something comes straight to mind, but just like the, God damn it. They did it again. Every time I walk into a company, it's this something yeah, like well, that. The, the, first and foremost, it's always, um, let's just start acquiring users. And, yeah. th- and that just being the first thing that someone does. A Whether of- it correlates to revenue or not, is what you're saying. Like, just kind of just here's the, I guess it's like whatever you measure gets focused on. And well, no, the, the biggest issue with that kind of like, let's acquire first is the only way we understand what works and what doesn't work is if the data is clean and crisp and organized. Um, so gotcha. a lot of times what we're having to come in and do is we're having to kind of rip and replace or build for the first time an entire mark marketing technology stack. And that could be yeah. like a segment or an amplitude, something that's going to like visualize your entire growth funnel, yeah. where people are getting in, where they're falling off, like who are your most valuable users all the way to, you know, how are we getting those most valuable users to refer your product to their friends or to other businesses in the network? Um, but people, we walk in and people say, we're killing it. And I'm like, great. How? how is that working? You know, what's working, what's not working? Like, we don't know, but it's working. Yeah. And um, we're like, great, that's great, but it's not scalable. Right. Um, so the biggest pitfall is is just not setting up the correct infrastructure to fully understand your funnel and all the data within it. Um, from there, it's uh, the second one is is thinking that you can survive and build a, a unicorn on one growth channel. Oh, yeah. A lot of folks are like, dude, Facebook, right. let's just keep piling on. Right. Every single growth channel has a limit to a success. So when we are working with any company, we're saying, listen, we need we need two at minimum growth channels. And then once we've proven that we can acquire underneath the cat goal, then we can start adding these other ones. Yeah. But the two one is like either I think I can I can build a unicorn on one channel. And the other one is, is, hey, we're doing OK, but we have eight channels going right now. Yeah. And I'm like, how big is your budget? They're like 15 grand. I'm like 15 grand across eight channels like. Or whatever, even a hundred grand or two hundred or five hundred grand across. No eight matter channels. what, across eight channels, let's that's pull wild. it back. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's let's make it so we have one to three or two to three, right. and we are we are properly scaling this up and then adding because anybody looking to invest in your company, they're looking for for channel diversity, but they're also making it so that um, money is going as long as it possibly can go on yeah. the channels that matter most. Yeah, totally. I was <laughs> I took a walk with. Uh, Jake um, from BTV yesterday. Yeah. And it was so funny hearing his, like, I, I mean, I guess I kind of knew the nerd wallet story, but I really did not realize how much of it had to do with like, he he was, he literally said out loud, like, yeah, we woke up one day, Google changed the algorithm. And all of a sudden we were like fucking famous. You know, he didn't say the fucking famous part, but it was like, you know, they were trudging and trudging and trudging. And then all of a sudden, and like getting some traffic, but then all of a sudden Google changes the algorithm to actually manifest with, you know, 
SEO as we know it today, not just like growth hacky, put everything in an H1 tag, like all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, the website crashed because of it. So it's like, it's funny how that was, you know, I kind of feel like that's over. Well, obviously that version of it's over, but like, I think that's over even on like the TikToks of the world, you know, like it's True. that ability to just like randomly fall backwards into success in that way. It's scientific. And it was man. a lot of work, Jake. I shit ton of respect for you guys. But you know what I mean? <laughs> of course. Of course. No, Jake, Jake's incredibly sharp. And, and regardless of like their their website crashing, like what they built after that. Is- well, he was also talking about the infrastructure they were having to deal with at that point. And it's like, no wonder it crashed. I mean, they were like, it was that's it. They didn't have AWS. You know, I mean, it was a very different time. Seriously. So anyway. the inf- infrastructure piece is it like that's the whole MarTech stack. You right. Know? Like we'll walk right. in sometimes and be like, yo, man, like straight up. If something were to happen in a really great way tomorrow, you wouldn't even be able to bring in all these users. Yeah. Like we have to just like make sure that the foundation we're building a building on yeah. is sound. Yeah. I mean, I would think even just like, I don't know. I, I don't know all of the uh, market or like MarTech things, but I would think like just the basic back end, like Marketo type thing that you're picking to use sure. or whatever probably is. CRM. Like, yeah. You and you need to be Salesforce. Right. Do, we need Hub, do we need HubSpot? And it's for hard email? as shit to change, right? So like if you kind of, you don't, don't make that day one, like the bigger problem later whoop. on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. so interesting. Okay. What are, what are some of the others? Other ones, I, I think the the main other one is is a lot of CEOs think they can hire someone internally to solve their most pressing issues. Yeah, um, and a lot of times that's something they need to take on, and they need to make sure that they work with a partner to do it. But it's not like, cool, you're handling it. See you later. Yeah, um, it abdication. Is yeah, sorry. Like, yeah. we cannot be valuable to you unless we are collaborating with you. Um, so having that internal sponsor. Um, at the company that actually has sway yeah. of yo, like we need this from him, we need this from her, yeah. it is really important, and and that's also how a lot of internal uh, folks fail when yeah. they get hired and they're like, cool, here's your island, go work. Like, no, no, right. no, I need, I need to pull you in. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, those are probably like the top three. Yeah. Um, I could probably give you 10 or 12 more yeah, yeah, yeah. give me like 10 minutes but I'll <laughs> See, that's, that's yeah. what I meant by that. I should have sent this to you. <laughs> this one I should have sent you ahead of time. No, no worries. Dude. Um. I think you just said something really important that I want to kind of like double click on. Every time I say double click on something on the podcast, I feel like such a douchebag. Double click away. Let's double click in on that. I just want to put a pin in and come back. Um, The CEO hiring somebody to do a thing, right? This is something that just like fascinates the shit out of me. And I've never been a CEO in a true sense. Like I've been a CEO of companies that I thought were real, but no one else thought they were real. So that really doesn't matter. So I've never been in the seat, so I can't really judge, but I'm human. So I judge all the time. It feels often like CEOs, especially that don't have that like zero to one muscle as the thing that mainly they've lived through, right? Like if they come from maybe like a one to 10 or 10 to a hundred kind of world, their desire to hire someone to solve a problem is a lot higher and their desire to understand the problem fully, maybe not even solve it themselves, but just understand the problem fully and then maybe solve it themselves or hire the person or whatever, but they don't take the step to solve it or like not, sorry, not solve it to understand it. True. I, the question I guess is just like, how universal does that seem to you? Like, is that like a lesson that you wish you could bang into people? Like it's just something I see a lot. So I'm curious how you think about it. No, no, I agree. I definitely think there are some things that can be fully outsourced. Like I think like finance can be like, I'll never tell a CEO that doesn't like understand like, you know, 
the the financial model. I'm like, listen, go yeah. get a partner, make sure you understand it, but you do not need to be leading it. And um, some of you probably shouldn't. Like if I was CEO, I if I oh, was trying here. to run my own accounting, I that would be, no. I would like, it would be like a fraud by accident. You know, like, it would just be like, I don't know. I thought I, <laughs> yeah. thought I was right. <laughs> There's information you need to know. And, and sometimes you just need to know how much is in the bank. Right. You know, like, right, right, and, right. Yeah. That, I think that's, that's the number away. I would know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just need to know how much is in the bank. But, um, but there's there's other ones that are cultural pillars of the business that if you are not a big part of it will be a uh, it it will hurt your ability to scale the business and it'll be a blind spot for yeah. you as you are trying to take the business to the next level um so i think just like marketing in general um if you're doing marketing right there's going to be a lot of metrics in that that are going to make or break your business. And especially in a market like this, where it's not about how many users you have, it's about how much revenue you're driving. Um, That is a shift where more than ever, the leaders of the business need to have a collective understanding of every single metric. And more importantly, outside of like the metric of like how how much revenue a user or a client or a, you know, a client's driving, but where are people dropping off? Like, and we always call it like, what's the users, what's the client's happy path? Yeah. What is the simplest path for them to enter the door and like stay in the house? Mm-hmm. And, um, and if that's not understood, then there's, there's a bigger issue because the most important changes that need to happen can only happen quickly when the most important people in the company understand that arm of the business. We've seen things where like, this is a massive problem and it takes us four weeks to actually get everyone to align on it because there's a huge educational gap from people in marketing to the highest person in the company. Totally. We want to minimize that because we, because again, testing and iteration needs to happen, but it needs to happen fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, why would you, if you have $50 million in the bank and you're going to spend $500 on something as a test, like you want that information quickly so you can go pour the gas on the fire, right? Yeah. And it shouldn't have to be a a $500,000 test for it to be important. Right. Statistical significance is not as expensive as people think. I that I think a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like we we live and die on that, right? And that's the thing of like just just because just because if the wrong person was in the seat, they'd be spending significantly more to to prove this right or wrong, doesn't make it it less yeah less Dude, or more important. That was a wildly perfect transition to my next question. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> why? So my next question is. I'm curious how you think about organizations that hire for resume versus potential sort of a thing, like especially in a marketing role, right? Like I'm thinking of, you know, the uh, kind of back to the sales vibe a little bit that we were talking about with Qualcomm, but like, you know, I had a X amount budget over at this org and it doesn't have to be a publicly traded company. Like it would be like Stripe four years ago, right? I was, I was CMO at Stripe four years ago and now I'm going to a zero to one organization. Like, how much kind of pain do you see there? Or like, maybe even a better question is when you're helping people recruit, how much are you thinking about talent in a potential versus um, kind of like proven track record sort of a thing? Yeah, like I think it's um, it's less about the resume to me. To yeah. me, it's more around within the interview process. It's not about questions and answers. It's about projects given that they need to actually go through like mm. you know we, we do so many like when we're hiring at fiat and also when we're helping our clients hire 
We're giving them exercises to do. And honestly, we straight up tell them, we'll pay you for the exercises. I don't want you to feel like we're just making you do free work. That like feels important. Do paid work with us. Yeah. We'll pay you for it. What's your hourly? Yeah. But like the only way we can hire you is to know that if we make you a lead, a client lead at Fiat, or we make you a director or a VP of something, we know how you think about putting a deck together. Yeah. We know how you think how you think about managing up, managing down. We give you three or four different scenarios of yep. like very like prickly situations yep. from a growth standpoint and how you deal with them. Um, but I think so much people are, are just really excited to be like, oh, here are the, the 10 questions that I Googled before this interview. Let me go ask them so I can get it done. And the person that I'm interviewing like just thinks I'm really smart. Right. Um, but it, it really has to be interactive, the interview process. And if you don't do it that way, you're going to quickly realize that you hired someone that can speak well, but can't do well. I feel like probably a lot of those people self-select out too because of ego or something, right? Like if you're a badass, supposedly badass CMO that's used to X budget and you're being hired into a company without X budget and then they ask you to do something, you're like, you're going to make me do work before yeah. I'm actually going to work? Like Totally. You, 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 will, you will see people drop out and I'll tell you, man, I used to believe that I could talk my way into any job. Wait, is that not true? Because I'm convinced of that. I'm fucking with you. I'm I, kidding. No, I, tr- I truly, <laughs> I still believe it. But well, I think you, I think probably most, most people with a certain skill probably could talk themselves into any job and then do horrible at the job. It, I, is exactly. that what you mean? But yeah. I'm, but I'm telling you like the things that I'm, I've learned through, through Fiat as I was like, I was like, make sure you give them an exercise because I was I was designing against people like me. Right. You know, I was like, I was like, man, back in the day, I was like, I love interviewing. Let me just go like, frankly, I probably had so many jobs before I like, like founded Fiat because I was like, I can go interview and just get anything. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I was able to like grow into it very quickly. But um, but, you know, when you're at a certain level, table stakes are much are much higher and um, you have to be able to get people to say no. Yeah. Like I was like, I'd much rather have 200 um, resumes and for for 195 of them to be like, sorry, this just isn't for me. Yeah. Because I know those five people that are just opting and be like, give me more. Like, I'll take that all day. Yeah. It's so funny how much like <laughs> this has like been an hour long conversation basically about like taking a step back take a sec. It's like the best way to go fast, right? The best, like, it's, it's so funny. Cause like thinking about like Alex's trajectory, your trajectory, like both of you guys have like meteoric growth through different experiences that you've had, but it seems like a commonality is slowing down just enough to think through the steps that you're going to take before you start sprinting. And I mean, some of it's accidental. Like, I mean, the fact that I have this podcast, like was not thought through. Right. And like, it took three years to rename it to a thing that I'm actually happy with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, it, it seems like slowing down is maybe like one of the most important things that we're kind of taking away here. It's the most important thing, but it's to me, the most effective folks. And I think me and you're both like this. It's like our, our initial thought isn't to slow down. Our initial thought <laughs> yeah. is to go a hundred miles an hour. Yep. And what I've had to learn through my career is when to slow down and when not to slow down. Like you going a hundred mile hundred miles an hour is the only reason this podcast exists. But I'm sure there's many other things on your day to day where you're like, yo, if I don't slow down, I just know from past experience of getting burnt, like this just isn't gonna happen. Oh yeah. And it's the same way here. And so I know a lot of folks that we that we hire at Fiat are people that are the antithesis of me. Cause I need to have people on my team that are actually gonna slow me down. Yeah. And I need other I need to to be on my team that I can talk to them and I can speed them up. Yep. But it's all putting together this like puzzle of checks and balances where like everyone is inspiring people in the way they need to be inspired to be, to be fully optimized. I was 
gonna just like kind of end it there but it's really funny to like we were talking about hard knocks in the in the room yeah it's funny like uh, so much of this resonates with me in a sports way like so much of this is like building building a team that's able to work together and like you have a team captain and this and that and the other but like all of it just kind of comes back to like locking arms and like being a team and like running towards the thing together and honestly like i I don't know this is probably not gonna be like a fucking popular thing to say but i feel like the fact that covid drove everybody out of the office has led to this to a lack of what we're talking about like the ability for everybody to get around a fucking table and like really work for an extended period of time that is not like the 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. working day that we seem to have developed as a society now and like actually trudge through it like I miss that shit, I guess. Like, I still get it sometimes in my 20 in New York, but, like, I miss that shit. I, I was I was an office warrior, um, and I still am, man. Like, it's... I, I just know the importance of... I won't even say, like, I, I love, like, just physically being around folks, but, like, the, the team aspect is just so massively important. And, like, we've tried really hard within Fiat because we are mostly remote. We we scaled up so much during the pandemic. We naturally just couldn't have a ton of people in the office. But, like, we've basically built pods within Fiat. So, like, there are, like, many teams within Fiat that all work on different accounts, work with different, different, different folks. But we know that we have to... We can't just have a ton of people sitting on islands because that is where right. hey like let me start at 10 let me let me end it too that's where that mentality comes in because you have no one being like where are you right slack 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 email email yeah. email email text 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 um and you know what it's like when you're on any 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 court or field you're as strong as your weakest link everyone's depending on you to make a move yep um the last thing i'll i'll, I'll quickly say is i just want to close the loop on fiat because um for everyone listening like Fiat growth is our consultancy, but it's also our due diligence arm. In mm. 2021, we founded Fiat Ventures. Fund one, $25 million venture fund, where we get to invest in all the companies that we have the right to invest in. So for us, there's this like really deep connection between growth and ventures and how we dance together because we get to work with incredible companies. It's the best educational arm for us because we, we get to learn by doing and um, we get to scale up this con- this this consultancy and then ventures um, around 60% of the investments we've made are in companies that we pre- previously worked with at Fiat Growth. And um, the other 40% are, you know, companies that we've invested in because of all the learnings that we get to we get to pull from 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 Fiat Growth as well. Yeah, we should have brought that up earlier. No, I just want to make sure we close the loop on it. For no, sure. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you did. And we will. Um, Alex and I were talking earlier, and he'll he'll be on at some point. So we'll talk more about the venture side. Well, it. maybe we'll just have to have you back and have a. Uh, we'll you, just, know, you know, we'll just you. we'll I'm just down, we'll just know. do it all together. <laughs> do it all together. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing, right? Like to the earlier question of like, you know, I wouldn't ask that question I asked earlier of someone at some of the consulting firms that we won't name. Yeah, but yeah. like that's one of the other reasons that I feel comfortable like asking you that question and comfortable referring people and just like generally saying positive things about you guys in public is like the fact that you have skin in the game and the fact that you are actually incentive aligned in the short, medium and long term is so rare. And I think there's a lot of VC firms that are starting to try and work backwards into what you guys have done. And I think it's really interesting that you're starting from that place and moving like it's it's you're all kind of meeting around the same place, but the core competencies, I think, are like managing themselves differently. So it's just 
fucking weird and cool and awesome to I see how you guys like where you're at now the weird way I met Alex the weird way I met you and like it, this the world is strange but I appreciate you man dude I appreciate the hell out of you and thanks so much this was a ton of fun yeah for sure for sure we'll do it again yes sir Thanks for listening. If you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends and all that jazz. Generally scream from the rafters about how much you love FinTech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all. Oh,